Cody is back. Finally, 2020 restart round two this Thursday night. It's the Pies versus the Tigers. Welcome to the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod and with me today is Liam Webb McAllister. G'day Liam. How excited are you for footy being back? I don't think words could really express how excited I am. Um, you know, it's been a long time since we've been able to sit down and watch a match of footy and uh, I'm extremely excited. What have you missed the most about football? For me personally, I missed the discussion about football during the season, during the week. You know, I missed the Monday discussion with, with my mates about how well or how poorly my teams have done. Given the fact that Essendon's my number one team, it's normally a pretty negative conversation for me. But I kind of missed that discussion and I missed the discussion about terrible umpiring decisions or controversial uh, goal, reviews, uh, goal review decisions. I kind of just missed that conversation. I'm so looking forward to getting back to that Monday discussion about the round that's just passed. How about yourself? Yeah, I mean, that's precisely what I've missed too, that banter between, you know, friends and family, you know, those discussions of, you know, was that the correct call, wasn't it? You know, oh, we should have won by this much when we only won by this much. Um, but also just the ability to know on the weekend that you could sit down at almost any time and just be able to sit there and enjoy a match of footy is something that I think a lot of people have missed, you know, and that is something that, you know, I'm looking forward to having back. Absolutely, absolutely. Same here. Uh, discussing crowds, I saw this morning very interesting article from Seven News that the Queensland government is set to allow stadiums in the state to be at 25% capacity, meaning that Brisbane v Fremantle this Saturday afternoon is set to be the first game of the year that actually has fans at the ground if you ignore the NAB if you ignore the, sorry, NAB, NAB Cup, I forgot what year I was in. If you forget the preseason competition and if, you, um, if we're just focusing on the men's, this is the first potential men's footy game this year at a professional level to involve crowds. I, I'll be honest with you, this could very well be a controversial decision. While I am excited about the prospect of fans like you and I potentially going to football matches this year, uh, and while I admit it was very, very weird to listen to football games without the roar of the crowd and the teams ran out whenever somebody kicked a goal and it was very, very weird to watch the highlights back and see none of the cheer squads, none of the banners. It was highly, highly, highly bizarre. Surely it's more of a health risk to the officials, to the players, to the staff, to the coaches, to the commentators to actually have fans at the game this year. I personally don't think if I'm, I don't know if I'm on board with, with the decision to have fans at the ground just yet, or at least in their thousands, maybe at most, I don't know, a hundred or 200 people scattered around the stadium as far apart from each other as possible. I, I, I don't know, that's just my opinion on the matter. Yeah, I mean, it's a debatable topic, I think, and it's going to be one which a lot of people are going to have differing opinions on. And I think for me personally, it's just something that needs to be played by ear um, as per the government and the AFL's cooperation. And obviously the biggest concern is not just to the players and the officials' safety, 
but for the public as well, because having so many people congregate in an enclosed space is obviously a health risk um, with the coronavirus still obviously present. So I think, like you said, having people at the ground is important, but it needs to be with certain safety precautions taking place, you know, making sure that there is uh, social distancing and that, you know, there's not too many people within a certain amount of space, obviously, because we don't want any outbreaks as a result of the football. That's the last thing we want. Yeah, exactly. And the football is not exactly an easy place to socially distance at. I mean, you've got you've got cafeterias with food that that being handed out where people have to line up, obviously, to get the food and then to pay for it. You've got these narrow staircases leading to the seats and leading out from the seats that that funnel people together. And then you have the bathroom situation. I don't know how you're supposed to socially distance in a bathroom. Maybe you just remove every other urinal or you just remove every other cubicle. I don't know how that would work. It doesn't seem like it would. So I don't know. We'll have to see. But you're absolutely right. We wouldn't want an outbreak as a result of the football to, to happen because then I think that we could very well be looking at yet another shutdown. And that is absolutely what we do not want to have happen. Um, okay, moving on to the next topic, a nighttime grand final. Personally, right, I'm a traditionalist when it comes to football traditions. I always love an afternoon grand final, 2.30 p.m. It's a great time slot. You know, it allows for the barbecue in the morning and then it allows for people to drink their sorrows away afterwards or drink, celebrate long into the night, depending on the result. And I have always resisted the idea of a nighttime grand final. However, I think that part of the negative opinion towards a nighttime grand final that I've always heard is that it would impact the fan experience, right? Because, you know, you have traditions that should stay the same, like North Melbourne breakfast, the, the members in the morning and the night before leading into it. It would just be, and then the concert afterwards that leads long into the night. Um, it just kind of seems like that would ruin if the game started at 6.30 or 7.30, whenever they're planning it on starting. Uh, however, if fans aren't allowed this year, I can't see the harm in experimenting. Just see what type of TV ratings uh, something that they're going to get for this year's grand final. And it's, in, it's entirely possible, the fact that this year's grand final, regardless of when they play it, is going to get a lot of TV viewing, especially if no crowds are going to be allowed. They could play it at 3 a.m. on a Tuesday morning, and they probably would still get a lot of people watching it. But Many I, alarms I, would I, be personally set. Yeah, I personally can't see the harm. Yeah, I mean, I think a nighttime grand final is definitely going to be on the cards this year. I think that, you know, it's primetime viewing. So if crowds aren't allowed in, you know, having that primetime slot is definitely something which will be considered. Um, and like you said, there's a big argument because many people are traditionalists. They like that afternoon slot. Um, but there are others which argue that trialling a nighttime grand final could be something to look forward to. And, you know, obviously, again, it's a trial. It's not something which they're going to go and rock with for the next 50 years or anything. Um, but I, I don't think that the crowd should determine ultimately whether or not it is a nighttime grand final. I think that just has to be something which is weighed up in bigger matters than just the crowd. I think that will probably come into it because obviously 
whether or not we have 1,000, 5,000 or 50,000 there this year, we don't know because obviously we're still months away from that happening and we don't know what the toll of the coronavirus will be in the months to come. Um, I'm not overly fussed personally what time it's played because I will always make sure that day is made available for me to watch, um, especially if my beloved Collingwood or my secondary Bulldogs are in it. I will make sure that nothing gets in my way of viewing it. Um, but obviously the potential of it being trialled at night is present and I'm sure, you know, that's going to continue to get weighed up for the coming years until it does happen. Uh, and obviously I think that the toll of the crowd is going to be something which is considered. Um, but I don't think that it's the only consideration which, which will be made. Do you think it's inevitable, a nighttime grand final? Uh, I don't think it's in inevitable. I think that... Um, you know, the AFL have tinkered with nighttime grand finals already with like the NAB Cup in previous years. Um, and I think they already have somewhat of an understanding to what nighttime grand finals would look like. Obviously, the NAB Cup and the actual thing are completely different in terms of interest. Um, but I think that it's going to be something which, until it does happen, potentially, it's going to be argued about until that happens. Whether or not it's inevitable, I think, is, you know, debatable, though. Yeah, I think that it's it's definitely a topic this year that, as with previous years recently, is going to be a massive topic of conversation whether or not the AFL should do it uh, should swap should should switch over to a nighttime grand final. I yeah, I don't think it's inevitable either. Um, and I've heard the argument that oh well, look at the Super Bowl in the US. You know that's played at night. That's a big event. And that's two completely different, two completely different situations. You know, with the NFL, you have a situation where they get most of their revenue, I believe, from TV. Uh, where the AFL, it's crowds going to a game, physically going. You know, the NFL, they play their Super Bowl in stadiums, seventy-five thousand around, approximately the the maximum amount of spectators per stadium for each Super Bowl. The MCG, 100,000 plus people. You can't really compare. Plus, you know, the US, 323 million people versus Australia, 23 million people. You can't compare the TV potential for both, for both countries. It's just not, it's just not, uh, not um, possible, I think, to compare the two. Uh, okay, moving on to the next topic, fake crowd noise. Okay. I've watched a couple of NRL videos with fake crowd noise, uh, and it's weird. It is very, very, very weird to hear no one cheering a try. It's very, very bizarre. Uh, however, I do kind of like the idea of fan interaction with the game, even if it is away from the stadium itself. I'm just wondering how on earth the AFL should go about it. I read an AFL article a couple of days ago that they were thinking of trialing potentially something like Gogglebox, the TV series, where uh, a situation where the fans watching the game live would have their reactions live streamed to the stadium and shown on the scoreboard for the players to see. I'm not... 100% sure how that would work and how efficiently that would work. 
especially because it would be a new system and new systems always take a little while to work out. I kind of like that though. I like it better than what some leagues have started doing, which is putting cardboard cutouts of their fans in the stadium. That's, that, that's kind of weird. And you allow the potential for fans to send in all types of wild images. Um, there was also a league in Korea uh, that put uh, sex dolls dressed up in the team's uniforms in the crowds. And I'm not entirely sure I agree with that either. Uh, although I will admit I did have a little bit of a laugh when I, when I first read that story. Um, I think the best idea at the moment is definitely the goggle box one. Um, and it's not confirmed whether or not the AFL is taking that seriously or how seriously they're taking it or whether or not it's just a throwaway idea. We don't know. They probably don't know either. But uh, what do you think will be the best fan interaction option for the league this year? Well, like you said, there's a variety of options. And uh, internationally, many of those have already been trialled. Um, I'm a soccer fan, so I've been keeping up to date with how the soccer is trying to, uh, you know, keep fan interaction. And, you know, Germany is already back and um, other countries, Italy, Spain and England are soon to follow. And the German soccer league, uh, the Bundesliga, are using cardboard cutouts of fans. And uh, the English Premier League are uh, considering using fake crowd noise generated by video games. So, you know, people are worldwide trying to keep that fan interaction alive for sports because it is something which you know is integral to the players and the fans who are you know taking part and again the goggle box idea is interesting although i don't know how the players on the field would react to seeing people on the couch like that would be a, a strange uh, idea as opposed to them you know sitting in the crowd in dedicated seating it's a bit different um and i think you know adding authenticity to the experience for fans and players is important. So I think that, you know, there does need to be something which is, you know, in, uh, you know, which is used to add that. But ultimately what that is, it's going to be hard to imagine anything um, at the moment. I think the AFL is going to have to get pretty creative. Speaking of getting creative, this was an idea that my mom discussed with me a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the AFL coming back. Shout out to you, mum. Uh, she proposed this very interesting idea about whether or not the AFL should, if they do go with putting people's images and likeness in the stadium, should fans be allowed to reserve a seat at a particular stadium and have their image on it the rest of the season whenever their team plays so for example if my bombers were playing at the mcg i could reserve a particular seat at the mcg and have my face posted on it which would be terrifying for anyone to see but uh, and then when the crowds are allowed back the catch would be that for however long the season goes on for with crowds the fans would then have that seat at that stadium kind of reserved for the rest of the year. What do you think about this idea? I kind of think it's a creative idea. I think it's definitely a creative idea. And I think it's an idea that the AFL could very well explore. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a quirky idea. It's, it's creative. Um, and also a bit funny, I think. You know, it's such a, an out there idea that you can't help but, you know, crack a smile when you hear it. Um, I think the idea of reserving a seat 
based on photographs and also changing them every game based on the crowd would be a bit complex. Um, and I think, you know, trying to, you know, I think it's the same with the cardboard cutouts. Though I think if you had cardboard cutouts, they have to be the same people for every game. I don't think that the AFL is going to have the time to go and change 50,000 cardboard cutouts in the space of a few hours between games. Um, and as for the idea of like reserving seats, again, I think, again, it's complex. If they could manage something like that, that's brilliant. But otherwise, I think that sticking with the traditional like memberships is probably going to be and like uh, general admission seating, et cetera, is probably going to be the way to go when football does come back. Um, I think one of the roadblocks to that, though, is people are going to say, you know, well, obviously our memberships aren't, at the moment aren't, you know, being used because we can't get there. Um, and that's where I think the argument comes in that clubs should introduce like uh, limited memberships. I've been one who at times has gone and bought like a three or a five game membership. I think that's something which definitely might be explored. So it's like cut price, you know, might be a five game membership and it costs, you know, 10% of the price that it would have cost had it been a full season membership. But if the AFL can come up with an idea to, you know, reserve seats somehow for people that want to pay top dollar, I don't have a problem with that. I just think that it's going to be a really complex issue, which is going to run into roadblocks personally. Yeah, I think that idea of three or four or five game memberships, that's a great thing because people will get value for their money. Um, Although you could say as well that it's the memberships that people have at the moment that are keeping sport clubs, the AFL clubs, kind of afloat at the moment um, and that they kind of need that support. So for me, as someone who does have a membership, I, I don't have an issue personally with uh, having a membership and not being able to go to a game. Yes, it sucks, but... At the same time, you know, our sporting clubs need our support as much as possible. Uh, although I can totally understand why there would be some fans who would demand for a refund. Um, but I always like to think that football is there for us in our darkest moments and we can be there for football in its darkest moments as well. Uh, yeah, I think hey. that, that, that idea that you mentioned, by the way, of, you know, some fans wanting their money back, I think that Again, that is understandable. Some people are going to be like, I could do with this money at the moment. And if that they want that back, okay, that, that's your call to make. But I guess it's on the clubs then to make, you know, it to make it value still to have a membership. You know, introduce, you know, online, you know, giveaways or, uh, you know, win a signed full Essendon squad, you know, shirt. Something like that, you know, give the fans a reason to keep their memberships. Um, because ultimately then, you know, they'll keep clubs afloat, especially those ones who are struggling. Yeah, I think that's a great idea because that takes into account the fact that memberships are expensive for people. And especially at a time like this where the economy is as bad as it is and it will probably get worse in the next few months, let's be completely honest. Um, I think that that's a good idea to have those incentives for fans to keep supporting their club. Um, although the potential for the club uh, folding or the club moving, I think that would be also a pretty, pretty big incentive. Um, but yes, I absolutely get what you're saying. Uh, round two. Let's go game by game. We'll give our predictions and let's discuss why we've said what we've said. 
Thursday night football. It's the biggest rivalry, I reckon, at the moment in Melbourne. I'm sorry, Carlton fans, but you guys have been terrible for so long. I can't really say that Carlton and Collingwood is the big rivalry anymore in Melbourne. It is absolutely the Pies and the Tigers. I've gone Collingwood by 12 points, and I'll explain why. I think that Collingwood has been the only team consistently over the last two to three seasons that have troubled Richmond. And it's always been like that. The sole exception was late last year when Collingwood had a pretty terrible run with injuries, that a pretty terrible run with form, and Richmond were just starting to hit their straps. Tigers won very comfortably on that Friday night, and that's fair enough. But now you have a situation where Collingwood... They were awesome in round one against the Dogs. They were incredible. The Bulldogs came into the year as, as a team that many people predicted would challenge for the top four, possibly for the flag. And the Pies just looked at them and said, hold my beer. And they just dismantled the Dogs. It was an incredible showing by the Magpies. Richmond, they won the game by quarter time. And it was against Carlton. And Carlton are improving, undoubtedly. They'll win more games, I think. They'll win at least the same amount of games last year. Maybe more, probably not, but I think at least the same amount. I think that they are a team that's getting better. They have a lot of great players, Carlton, but let's be honest, Richmond is in a different league. They never really got out of second year, and they allowed Carlton to get back into the game. And for all those reasons, and I think that Collingwood is one of the true premiership contenders this year. Richmond always take a little bit of time to hit their straps. And so I'm thinking Collingwood by a couple of goals in what should be an awesome return to football. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is in many senses the ultimate game to... Uh, it is like the ultimate game to uh, kick us off um, in many ways. Because it is, you know, bar maybe like the Anzac Day game, which when you have the crowd there, is probably the biggest game of the year bar the final series. It is like Collingwood and Richmond is the big rivalry. It, it splits Melbourne uh, <laughs> in many ways. Um, and like you said, Collingwood are a team which in the last few years come out of the gates firing at the start of the year. Usually the first 10 rounds, people like have them down as premiership favourites. And then slowly but surely, Collingwood have had a really bad run with injuries the last few years. And then they just slowly dwindle off and barely scrape top four. And then they kind of come good again in finals but obviously a few slip-ups, which is inevitable, uh, as <laughs> Collingwood always do. Um, I, I, I'm hopeful that Collingwood will win, but I'm actually going to go with a bit of a surprise result. I'm going to go with a Richmond drilling. I've got this gut feeling that Richmond are going to uh, give us a bit of a walloping, 40-50-point uh, region, if I'm wow. being perfectly honest. Um, I think we'll come out good, like Collingwood always do. I reckon we'll take the lead early, but I just think slowly Richmond will catch us up and we'll just kind of steam home late, to be honest. I hope I'm wrong, but that's just, you know, it's a gut feeling. <laughs> wow. Wow. Surprise first pick. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Geelong v Hawthorne in the unusual confines of GMHBA Stadium. Finally, Geelong this year getting their home games at their home ground because no fans would be allowed to go, probably. Uh, <laughs> I think that if this game was at the MCG, I would go for Hawthorne. If this game was at Marvel Stadium, I would go for Hawthorne. But the reason why I'm going for Geelong is that GMHBA Stadium 
has such peculiar ground dimensions compared to the stadiums that Hawthorne are used to. And I think that that always benefits the Cats, really. I think there's only one team that's been able to consistently over the last nine to ten years play well down in Geelong, and that's Sydney. For some reason, I don't know, but the Swans have always played really well against the Cats in Geelong. No one else has been able to consistently do that. And so that's one reason why I'm tipping the Cats. The second reason why I'm tipping the Cats is because the Hawks haven't played down there since 2006. That's a long time to not play at a stadium, to suddenly have to rock up there against a team that plays there quite a lot. And so I think because of those two reasons, I'm going for Geelong. This is an important year for Geelong. They have an aging list, a very talented list, but think of all their best players. They're inching ever closer to retirement. Gary Ablett, Dangerfield, Selwood, Harry Taylor, Tom Hawkins, the list goes on and on and on. It's about time that they actually do something in September if they make it. And if they don't win the flag this year, I reckon Chris Scott's job is going to be in massive, massive, massive danger at the end of the year. So cats by five points. Yeah, I think the idea that jobs, uh, the job for Chris Scott could be, you know, in big jeopardy. I mean, every coach has that battle, obviously, because there's expectations that need to be met. Um, I'm not sure if not winning the flag would constitute him being fired. I think that there is an expectation that Geelong make the finals. That, that is like the bare minimum. And then there is a kind of secondary expectation of we want you to get top four. Uh, and I think that applies to a few clubs, honestly. I think it's like if you don't get top four, your job's on thin ice. Um, and up until the last few years, I think that Geelong and Hawthorne in many ways was the Collingwood and Richmond. It was the modern-day rivalry. It was the game which you always knew was going to be a great contest. Um, you know, you, you, like it was never more than, you know, 15, 20 points. <laughs> and, you know, I used to, like, look at the fixtures coming up in the next week and I'd be like, oh, here we go. I'm sitting down for this one. There's no doubt that I'm going to enjoy a watch of this. And both of those clubs in the last few years have kind of fallen away a little bit. Um, but both of them still have a tremendous amount of spectacular players on their list. Uh, regardless of age, you know, you think of the likes of Ablets, the Dangerfields, the Burgoynes, uh, Tom Mitchell, you know, there's so many just powerhouse players in both teams that you still would like to think there's going to be a good game. Um, but like you said, GMHBA is an absolute fortress for Geelong. They have it down pat. Teams always struggle to, you know, take them on there. Regardless of the fans, I think Geelong will be too strong too. Uh, and similarly to you, I do think it will be close. I'd probably put it in and around the two to three goal region. Yep, absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. I think Hawthorne's going to be a good team this year. I'm not sure that they're the premiership threat that some people are discussing, but you can never rule out a team coached by Alistair Clarkson. He's just the master when it comes to coaching. Okay, next game. Brisbane v Fremantle. With crowds, without crowds, who knows? Up in the Sunshine State, obviously Fremantle there as part of the quarantine hub, far away from home on uh, enemy territory. The Lions, they were crushed comfortably by the Hawks. Although I think that I, I personally chalk that up to less the Lions and more the fact that they were playing at the MCG. 
Brisbane haven't played at the MCG well in years, in absolute years. And last year, it was their ultimate kryptonite of sorts. You know, they got crushed by Essendon there. They got pumped by Richmond there in round 23. And so I think that that's ultimately the reason why they lost as much as they did in round one, obviously taking nothing away from Hawthorne. I think that Fremantle were very brave against Essendon in round one, the second half was incredible. Great fight back by the Dockers. That being said, though, the first quarter wasn't great. And now they've had to travel across the country for four weeks, possibly more. We don't know whether or not Queensland's going to lift their state restrictions anytime soon, or WA is going to lift its state restrictions anytime soon. Pardon me. That, for those reasons, and also because, as I'll get to later, I think Brisbane is going to finish in the top four and Fremantle won't, I predict a very comfortable Brisbane victory, five goals. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm with you uh, there. I think that uh, the Dockers are going to enter the lion's den. And when that happens, all havoc will break loose. Um, I think, you know, as much as I agree with you that, you know, the MCG was a kryptonite for the, the Lions last year, I do think there's an element of it was a very young team, you know, and they were lucky to have someone like, Luke Hodge, who added that kind of composure and that experience for finals. And I think he, you know, he will be sorely missed, I think. He was such an asset to um, them on the field as much as he is off the field. Um, so, as yeah, I, but ultimately, if we're looking at this game at a, at a singular point, I think that the Dockers are going to get ripped apart. Uh, and I think it's going to be a, similar to you, probably even more than five. I'd probably be looking at more like seven to eight goals. Yep, will absolutely be a horrible day, I reckon, for Fremantle. Okay, moving on to the next one. We have a very, very interesting battle, the Blues and the Demons. Uh, this one is very interesting. I think the loser of this game is going to be in a lot of trouble. Uh, I'm not predicting great things for either of these two teams this year. And, that, and for that reason... I think that whoever loses this game, the warning signs are going to start to sound. And I just think looking at those two teams, I think that Carlton has a better list than Melbourne. I think Melbourne overachieved in 2018. I think that Melbourne will not only finish again bottom four in 2020, but I'm predicting them to finish stone cold motherless last on the ladder in 2020 and Ruthless. this week will not be one of their high points. I think the Blues are going to win narrowly. It's going to be a great game of football. These recent contests between the two teams have always been really, really close. Normally 2018 was the exception when Melbourne won by over hundred points, but last year they had a great game. Melbourne won by five points. I think Carlton's going to get revenge. Carlton by a goal. Ooh, that is very tight. Uh, I mean, this is, like you said, this is a game which I think uh, both of these teams are in desperate need of a bright restart. I think that both of these clubs are going to struggle this year. Um, I think Carlton, a little bit of an underdog, could make a push for the top eight. I don't think they'll make it, if I'm being perfectly honest. I think they could be a team which pushed the boundaries of like 11th or 12th and are sniffing around, you know, come round 16, 17, 18. Um, but like you, I, I think that Melbourne are going to struggle to probably avoid, you know, the bottom two, bottom three. Um, their list is just not deep enough. I think the Carlton are 
heading in the right direction, albeit at snail's pace. Um, but I do think that Carlton will win probably a little bit more comfortably than you had predicted. I'd probably go for about four goals, I think. Now, I think that last year there was such an incredible rate of upsets. I think if I remember properly, it was a rate of like at least one upset per round. And I think that that's going to continue this year, especially with the long layoff. Who knows how that's going to impact teams. We've never had this before. Anything can happen. I'm predicting the first, my first upset of the season, the Gold Coast Suns will beat West Coast by three goals. That's right. The West Coast Eagles will have a horrible start, a nightmarish start to their quarantine hub life on the Gold Coast. And the Suns will benefit from having a few games in a row at home. Very much the opposite of 2018, where because of the Commonwealth Games, they had to travel for the first 11 weeks and that set them up for a pretty terrible 2018 season. I think that 2020 will be better. They won't escape the bottom four, but they'll win five or six games this year, I reckon, the Suns. Uh, I'd like to say I'm as optimistic as you. I'm not. (laughs) Um, I just think that ultimately this is like, uh, David versus Goliath in many respects you've got one of the strongest lists in the comp up against uh, one of the weakest and I, I like I, I would love to say that I expect a, an upset too because I would much rather see Gold Coast win than West Coast for a multitude of reasons um, but I don't think that the home ground advantage is going to be enough I think that there's just far too much disparity between the two clubs I'm going to go for a storming Eagles win. Uh, I'd put it in at least the 50-point region, to be honest. I just think that Gold Coast won't come out of the gates firing. But, hey, I'm all for it if they do. This game is going to be very interesting. I've predicted a close Gold Coast win. You've predicted a big West Coast win. It'll be very interesting to see who's right. Uh, Okay, the showdown in South Australia. It was looking for a while like this game would be hosted in Southeast Queensland, but now it will be in South Australia before the teams travel east next week. Uh, This is very interesting. I think that showdowns are always unpredictable, but especially when you take the crowd factor away from it. That being said though, looking at the two teams, I'm not expecting much from either of these two teams. I think Port will make the finals only just. I think the Crows will finish bottom four. And for that reason and that reason alone, I'm predicting the power by 40 points, 41, 42 points, something like that. Big Port Adelaide victory. That being said, though, the power have always been a team, especially in recent years, where they lose games that you expect them to win. So that being said, now that I've said that, I wouldn't be surprised if Adelaide wins by 80 points at this point. Because with Port, you don't know. You never know what you're going to get with the power. All I know is that Koshi is not going to have a very comfortable weekend if Port loses. Yeah, I mean, these two clubs are as hostile uh, fan bases as you can get. Uh, I absolutely hate uh, and love to watch when Collingwood travel over to Adelaide because I hate the fact that regardless of whether the decision is correct or not, the Adelaide fans will boo it if it goes Collingwood's way. And then... uh, I love it because we have a pretty good win rate over there, which is something which not a lot of clubs have. 
Sorry, um, sorry yes. before you continue, before you continue, did you just say that you hated when fans boo whenever your team gets a, gets a decision paid for it? Huh, that's very interesting. I've never heard Hollywood <laughs> supporters do that at all. Nope, never. never. Absolutely right. We are the most absolute down the middle fans you'll find in the competition, of course. The pristine, um, the pristine example was true sportsmanship, the Collingwood Football Club. Yeah, exactly. Um, but not to get off topic, we, we, we were talking about Adelaide and Port Adelaide here. Um, but, you know, I, I can't help but try to get Collingwood into every point of the conversation I can. Um, but, yeah, uh, we we're talking about, like, the passionate fan bases in Adelaide. Obviously, there will be no fans there. Um, I have a little bit more uh, belief in Port Adelaide. I don't think they'll be absolute dwellers this year. I think they will. I mean, both teams finished, in, you know, neck to neck last year. Um, and I think I expect a similar, I expect probably similar from them both. I expect them both again to probably be in and around challenging the top eight. Maybe one will, one won't. Uh, I agree though. I do think the Crows will win. Uh, I just think it'll be a bit more narrowly. I'd probably go with a two to three goal margin. Moving on to Sunday's matches and the AFL, in order to kind of just restrict travel, and just to make traveling easier interstate have basically said that New South, the New South Wales teams will travel interstate together and will travel back to New South Wales together. And any teams traveling into New South Wales will travel into New South Wales together and will travel back out together as well. We see the first example of that on Sunday where North Melbourne and Essendon, two teams who do not like each other, are gonna have to share the same cabin space moving from Melbourne to Sydney for Sunday's games. And the first one of that is the Giants hosting North Melbourne. I think that this game could potentially be very interesting. I think North Melbourne had an incredible back end of the year last year, and that was kind of mirrored again in their incredible second half comeback against St. Kilda in round one. That being said, though, I looked at North Melbourne's entire season and their season overall was just kind of very mediocre as shown by where they finished on the ladder and that because of that and I'm not convinced that North Melbourne are consistent enough to chase the top eight I don't think they're going to make it but I think that they will challenge a few teams um the Giants won't be one of them the Giants I think this year are absolutely one of the premiership threats uh they will make the finals again and will finish uh, they will have a very deep run into September this year, the Giants. I think that the Giants will win this game very, very comfortably. And I think it will be a lesson on how to play premiership-style football for North Melbourne. And, you know, in a few years' time, North Melbourne will probably be challenging for the premiership again. Uh, just not, not this year and not on this day. I've predicted the Giants to win comfortably by 29 points. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think that um, as good as North Melbourne uh, were at the back end of last year and as, I guess, as surprisingly a good coach as Shaw is, and I think that he is, uh, you know, taking them in the right direction. I think he is making a lot of good recruitments and he is, you know, moving the squad around in the correct manner. Um, I think that, yeah, they're a club which are still a few years away from getting back to the glory days, I guess. Um so, yeah, I'm with you there. I think the Giants will be 
premiership uh, contenders, and I do think that at home they will be too strong. I would go with about a six-goal uh, win for the Giants as well. And now the potential Joe Danaher Cup. This game was being called uh, when the fixture was released in October originally last year. This was originally supposed to be Friday night football uh, to start round two. Now it's been pushed back to Sunday and everything that's happened. This could very well be the Joe Danaher Cup still. Um, who knows whether or not he wants to stay at Essendon or not. Uh, but whatever his feeling towards this matchup is, I know that my personal feeling towards this matchup is that it's like watching two of your favorite children fight each other and you can't bear to watch and you, you're, you're powerless to stop them fighting. You just kind of want everyone to get along, but you know that that's not how it works. Um, you know, you won't see Essendon and Sydney players holding hands, skipping through fields of daisies and roses and sunflowers together underneath giant uh, it's hard because not only are these two my team, but they always play great games against each other. The Swans and Bombers always put on a show, normally normally put on a show. There are a couple of exceptions, but it's normally a great game of football, one of the games of the year whenever these two teams play. I think the Swans will be better than what a lot of people think. A lot of people will look at their fall last year and say, oh, they finished 15th. You know, they were pretty terrible. But you look at the fact that they finished with a percentage in the 90s and they finished with seven wins. Most of their losses were fairly close as well. They lost a lot of games only just. I think the Swans will be better than a lot of people say they will be. That being said, Sydney has a lot of great... Uh, talent towards the end of their career. And they have a lot of great youngsters as well. Not a lot of great players in the middle. And so I think it's going to be time for the players in between like the 28, 29 down to like the 23, 24 range to really step up. And I think Heaney is going to lead that. I think he's going to have a breakout season. He had a fantastic round one game against Adelaide. Great victory by the Swans over there after conceding six goals in the first quarter. Spectacular defensive effort. I think the Swans will do well. I don't think they'll make September. Essendon is one of those teams that's so unpredictable. You never know which Essendon is going to show up. And round one encapsulated that. The first half, the Bombers were on. They were great. They were firing on all cylinders. And then midway through the third quarter onwards, they just stopped. And Fremantle came charging. And Essendon just held on. Just held on. It's tricky, right? Because Essendon is, Essendon is facing a lot of pressure this year, riding on a 16-year finals drought without a victory in September. Uh, or whenever oh, finals are played this year. September, October, December, whenever, whenever finals football will be played this year. Essendon yet to win a final since 2004. I think that this year they will make finals again. Um, we'll see closer or not to the final series whether or not they'll, they're a chance to win. But I think because I tip Essendon to win, uh, sorry, to make a final and I predict Sydney to not, uh, I'm predicting Essendon in another close one, not 
Not one that will give me a heart attack though. I think my heart will be given a little bit of a break this week, which I am very, very happy about. Essendon by 23. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I think that it will be uh, a close encounter. I'd actually go even closer. I think it's going to be another nail biter. I think that, you know, those two have had some epic encounters over the last few years. And it's a bit of a fixture which people don't consider to be in any case a rivalry or anything. And it's not, you know, in the sense of rivalry, but it's a, an interesting encounter when those two face up. So I'll go with you. I think that the Bombers will win, but I think it will be a nail biter. And I think it's going to be a single digit uh, win for the Bombers. I think in Sydney's favour is the fact that Essendon hasn't won at the SCG since 2009. And so that's a long drought to not win at a ground. I think it will end though. All droughts have to come to an end eventually. Uh, and that's why I am going for the Bombers. Uh, speaking of a drought, the St Kilda Football Club. <clears throat> right. Uh, I looked at all the players that were coming in. I looked at the likes of Dougal Howard and Paddy Ryder coming over for Port Adelaide and all the talent that the Saints were bringing onto their list. And I thought, here's a club that's going to return to football in September for the first time since 2011. And the first half against North Melbourne, they were awesome. They could not be stopped until they were. I don't know what happened. What happened? They just stopped. I think it would be an anomaly, though. I think that they will get the win against the Dogs, and i tell you why. That will be less about how good St. Kilda is and more about how I think the Dogs are overrated. And I'll explain later on why I think the Bulldogs are overrated. But as for now, Saints in another close one, 10 points, St. Kilda. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think the Saints will win. Um, the Bulldogs are overrated. Uh, I, think, I think they're in many ways uh, a B-Tech Brisbane. They're a young squad. With a lot of talent, but I think that they're a bit, they're, they're still a year or two away from their Brisbane stage where they could make that argument for finals. Um, and yeah, I, I think that St Kilda is going to be an interesting one this year. I think this is a bit of a make or break year for them. I think if they can challenge and make finals, they're on their way up. If they don't, I think there's going to be a lot of fingers pointed and a lot of things which are going to be discussed because this is meant to be their year. This is meant to be the year that they re establish themselves as a club. And it's make or break. And I think they will, again, like you, I think that it's going to be more down to the Bulldogs' poor showing than so much as uh, St Kilda's brilliant performance. Uh, I do think they will get a respectable victory, though. I'd probably go with a five-goal margin. Yeah, I think that that could very well be an interesting game. And it's another game where the loser is going to be in deep trouble because the next couple of weeks for both teams are not going to be easy. But we'll get to that in later podcasts. Now, the team most under pressure. I'll let you go first. Who do you think is the team most under pressure to perform well? Are we discussing this week or are we looking at yearly? <laughs> well, that's a good question. I think we'll discuss, let's go yearly. Who do you think yearly, who needs to perform well this season? Which team? I'd go with St Kilda. I think this is their make or break year. I really think that this has to be the year that they establish themselves. If they don't, like I said, I think there's going to be fingers pointed and there's going to be a lot of people which come under the spotlight. So for me, for the year, I think St Kilda are the team with the most eyes on them. For me, it's their round two opponents, the Bulldogs. And I'll explain why 
round one was awful. I cannot think of a team that was more of a disappointment in round one than the Western Bulldogs. And that's not taking anything away from Collingwood. The Pies were great, but the Bulldogs were awful. <laughs> like, you cannot <laughs> lose in a game with shortened quarters. Shortened quarters for crying out loud. On your home deck with none of the manical, fanatical Collingwood supporters actually at the ground. At the ground. You can't lose by 50-plus points. I reckon this year that any losses between 50 to 60 points is going to be the equivalent of an 80 to 100-point loss in any other normal with extended quarters, normal quarters, just because it's, it should be impossible for a team to lose by as much as the Dogs did. That's one. Second, they had an incredible final series in 2016. Am I still salty about some of the umpiring decisions in the 2016 Grand Final? Sure, but the Dogs absolutely deserved the flag that year. They were the best team when it counted. They have done nothing since. Absolutely nothing since. Missed out on finals football in 2017. Okay, a little bit of a regression. 2018, they're headed into the year. Got pumped by the Giants in round one. Never recovered. True, they had an incredible bounce back in the second half of last year, right? I know, I was there. Hashtag 21 in a row. I was there. I was there. I witnessed how awful that game was for Essendon supporters. I know how great the dogs were. That oh, how I loved. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you did. Looking at their season overall, though, they were a team that conceded over 100 points to Brendan Bolton's Carlton. The first time since mid-2016 that a team had conceded over 100-plus points to Carlton. They got pumped in that game. They lost to St. Kilda a few weeks before the Saints got rid, got rid of Alan Richardson. They got pumped in Perth by Fremantle a couple of few months before Fremantle got rid of Ross Lyon. Starting to see a little bit of a pattern here. And they were one of only three teams to lose to Gold Coast for the entire season. And they were the only team, the only team to lose to the Gold Coast away from the Gold Coast. The Gold Coast had an awful season last year, and yet they chalked up one away victory, and that was against the Bulldogs in Melbourne. I think looking overall at their year last year, they had a pretty average season. Lucky that they started their run when they did, and yes, their run was incredible, but they barely snuck in the finals football, right? They were incredibly cocky, incredibly confident, right? Again, they finished seventh. There were people saying, oh my God, they finished seventh. It could be 2016 all over again. The Giants went denied on them. That's a firm no from me, said Leon Cameron. And I think that it's a firm no from me as well this year. They are so under pressure because they just have to perform well. You can't have a premiership season and then four bad seasons in a row, three and a half bad seasons in a row after that. I think that if the dogs miss September this year, Luke Beveridge's seat in the coach's box is going to start to heat up a bit. So that's why I'm going with the dogs for my tip as a team most under pressure to perform this year. I think Sunday afternoon is going to be interesting for us then. We've got our two picks both facing off. Absolutely, absolutely. It's going to be fascinating. It's going to see which team, whether or not it's the Saints or the Dogs, that the reset is going to help the most. Now, which 
coach do you think is going to be most under pressure this year to perform well? I'll go first this time. I know I just said the dogs are going to be under pressure to make finals again this year. And I know that I said that Luke Beveridge's seat is going to get hot if they don't make September. Simon Goodwin's seat is already hot. It's already heated up, right? His pants are on fire. His pants are on fire at this point. And the reason why I say Simon Goodwin over Luke Beveridge or Stuart Dew or Ken Hinckley is because at least those teams, with the exception of Stuart Dew on the Gold Coast, obviously, those teams have won a premiership sometime over the last 50 years. The last time Melbourne won a premiership, the Beatles were still touring. Think about that. The Beatles were still touring. That's incredible to think about. They won a premiership 36 years before Y2K. So this is an incredibly important year for Melbourne and it's an incredibly important year for Simon Goodwin because if they don't make September for four, and let's remember how terrible they were painfully average in round one against the Eagles, against an Eagles team that never really got out of second year. I think that if Melbourne by the midpoint of this season has uh, a couple of wins to their name or is in bottom, bottom three, bottom two, I think Simon Goodwin won't see the year out. Now, that being said, it's not all doom and gloom for the Demons. I think Get. at their list, they have exciting young players. Oliver is going to be one of the best players in the competition. Viney, absolute superstar. Max Gorn, I think, is one of the best ruckmen in the competition, if not the best. Sorry, Brody Grundy. But I think Max Gorn is a better ruckman, just my opinion. But that being Ooh. said... <laughs> Just me. I, I knew, I knew, I knew that I would ruffle your feathers there. But that being said, I think that Melbourne will get rid of Simon Goodwin if they are bottom two by the midpoint of the season. Yeah, um, I disagree on who I think is the coach most under pressure. I have a different name um, who I will come to, but I will agree with you that yes Goodwin is definitely someone who is uh under the spotlight you know and I, I think what's keeping his job for a, a big part is people are still kind of riding the 2018 hype train and being like oh but if he can manage that with that team what's to say he can't do it again this year um and I think that the minimum expectation is that they challenge for the top eight and I think if that doesn't happen he will definitely be having a lot of questions that he will be needing to answer with that being said, though, I think that there's another club which have somewhat extortionate expectations, which they haven't been able to match for the last few years, and that is Port Adelaide. And I think that is why Ken Hinckley is going to be the coach most under pressure. I think Koshi has outlined quite clearly uh, over the last 12 to 24 months numerous times that the expectation is that they make the eight, and they are not doing that at the moment. And I think this is the year that if Hinckley cannot get his team into the eight, he can, good as he likes, walk out the door because he is not going to be hanging around. Um, so I think that Hinkley has, uh, you know, the best part of this year to prove himself. Uh, otherwise, I think he's going to be walking out that door come the end of the season. Yeah, that's a fair point. And you never know with, with a boss like Kochi, that's for sure. Uh, interestingly enough, though, if you look at a particular trend throughout the 21st century thus far is that teams who finish round one at the top of the ladder in 
every leap year this century so far has gone on to win the flag. The Bombers crushed Port Adelaide round one. They won the flag that year in 2000. Port Adelaide got revenge, crushed Essendon round one, 2004, won the flag. Hawthorne topped the ladder round one, 2008, won Sydney, 2012, top ladder, end round one, won Western Bulldogs, 2016, same thing. So, if, I don't know if that trend takes into consideration a two-month gap between round one and round two. But if Ken Hinckley can't even win the premiership with luck and history on his side like that and trends on his side like that, then you might be right. He might be one of the coaches who's on the way out this year. Now, let's discuss finals. Who's going to make it and why? We'll go over top four first, and then we'll go bottom four. I'll go first. My top four, I think, will be the Giants, number one, Brisbane, number two, the Eagles, number three, and Collingwood in fourth. I'll explain why. The Giants, I think, this year, they have the best list in the competition. They have one of the best coaches in the competition. They have one of the best home ground advantages at two different stadiums. Their home ground in Sydney and in Canberra as well. Don't know whether or not football is going to be played in the nation's capital this year or not with the coronavirus. We'll see. But I think that looking at that, coupled with the fact that they must know that their window is going to close sooner rather than later. They've had their window open since 2016, and they haven't been able to take advantage of it. They had a taste for the grand final last year, and perhaps you, as a Collingwood supporter, might say that they were lucky to get there. Touche. But still, they had a taste for the big day. They now know what it's like to play at that grand final premiership level in September, and I think that that's why they will finish on top. They are hungry. They looked amazing in round one. I think that Brisbane are a young team, but I think enthusiasm and youth has a lot to play for. I think the Dogs in 2016 won the flag off of youth. I think Melbourne's rise in 2018 was off of youth. And you might say, well, yeah, look at Melbourne in 2019. That's very true. But now Brisbane in 2020 has the benefit of looking at what Melbourne did wrong heading into the 2019 season and through the 2019 season. And they know what to avoid doing. And I think that they'll be able to do that. That's why I'm thinking second. The Eagles, I'm predicting West Coast to be third, just because it's difficult having to stay a month or so away from your loved ones and your friends and what you know and the comforts of your home and your home suburb and your home city in an entirely different state. And I think that that will get them off to a very slow start. Now they're a champion team. Nick Natanui, Shannon Hearn, Brad Shepard, Elliot Yo, Tim Kelly, who was great in round one. He looked electrifying in the West Coast Blue. And so I think that the Eagles will make top four. They'll have a great second half of the year. Uh, who knows? Maybe they'll have a string of games at home towards the end of the season. Um, I think it would be fair if they do. But regardless of where they play, they're one of those teams that can play well at home or even far away. I just don't think for I just don't think that they'll play that well that far away for that long a period of time. I think that Collingwood are great, but as recent history has shown us, there's something wrong with their medical department with how injured they keep getting. 
Um, and that's why I think that they will only finish. Build a tunnel to the uh, to the hospital, by the way, just underground, underground tunnel straight into the hospital. Right. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. But I think that Collingwood's will make top four. They're too good to not. And they're another team whose window is going to close sooner rather than later. They took a massive gamble with signing Grundy up to the length of contract that they did. Side bottom, great player coming towards the end of his career. Pendlebury, same thing. And there have a lot of great youngsters, but again, it's that middle stretch between 30 and 25 that I think Colin was just lacking in. That's stopping them from being like Richmond level, West Coast level premiership team. And so for that reason, I'm tipping Collingwood to only finish fourth. You go, you're top four. Uh, it's, it's funny you say that now because you just mentioned Richmond and West Coast, yet I don't remember hearing Richmond in your top four. <laughs> Touche, I'll get to the reason why. I'll get to yeah, the reason because for me, it's mind-boggling to think that a team as strong as Richmond somehow would not make the four. So I'm intrigued to find out your reasoning as to why they are not there. Because for me, they've been at the top of the ladder. Uh, unless they hit a similar injury roadblock as they did last year, I can't see a reason why they wouldn't at least challenge for the top spot. I think that they have probably top three, top four, if not top two or best list in the comp. And I just think that they will... Up, be up there again there's no question about it as far as I see it as much as it pains me to say as well because I do despise them with a passion um, I agree though that GWS will be sniffing around because I put them in second uh, I think that they're a team which has again an incredible list um, and so many players which are in that kind of prime time of their career uh, and I think that that's going to be something which is going to be hard to stop um, come finals period uh third i have collingwood uh you know you mentioned the likes of you know sidebottom and pendlebury and such coming towards the back end of their careers and i do agree with that to a degree but then i think of how ageless someone like pendlebury is and i'm just like it doesn't matter if pendlebury is 20 or if he's 35 he would probably play the same and i think when pendlebury does retire it'll be off his own basis and not the fact that he's falling away in terms of his ability um, I just had to get that back in, back up for Pendlebury in there because, you know, <laughs> he is just our almighty saviour. Um, and I, I think that we have quite a few good players in that kind of middle bracket. I think a few players which go under the radar, like Jack Crisp, who is, as far as I'm concerned, one of the most consistent backmen in the league in terms of he'll give you like an 8 out of 10 every week. Um, so I think that we will be strong enough to get top four. Um, I would put us in third spot. Uh, and then fourth like you, I'm going to pick West Coast to make the top four. Um, obviously, I just switched Collingwood and West Coast around. I just think that West Coast, again, have such a strong team. Kelly is going to be a huge addition to their team. I think that Geelong have truly missed out on such an important player for their future. And I think that West Coast are going to be sitting there in five years' time, potentially with a premiership or two to their name, thinking, did we get a bargain or what? And I think that um, they will make the four as well. Yeah, fair point. Fair point. Now I'm the bottom four of the eight. Uh, Richmond, I have in fifth. I'll explain this first off before revealing the rest of the, rest of the eight. Uh, it's such an even competition 
And it's really hard to put the Tigers outside of the top four. But I think it speaks to how strong the top five teams that I have on the ladder, the Giants, the Lions, the Eagles, the Pies, and the Tigers, that I have Richmond fifth. I think that that top five, you pick any of them to win this flag, and I wouldn't be surprised at all. I think that Richmond, they're such a cohesive unit this year. It's almost impossible to see them missing September. Um, I think that they would have to be struck with such a horrible injury curse that lasts the entire season for them to miss out. And the MCG is such a fortress for them. I just think that they don't play that well away from the MCG. And I know that they traveled up to the Gabba at the qualifying final and they crushed the Lions. I would put that more so to how inexperienced Brisbane are in finals than how well the Tigers play uh, interstate. Look at 2018, the Tigers' four losses during the home and away season all took place interstate. The 2017 season, the Tigers at the Adelaide Oval versus the Crows early in the year, the Crows won by, I think, 10-plus goals. Richmond don't play well, and last year they didn't play that well interstate either. The Tigers, I think, their one kryptonite is playing interstate. And who knows? how much football interstate they're going to have to play later on in the year. They could, they might play every single game in Victoria. Although if they do that, I am sure that the 17 other clubs and their supporters will be up in arms about that because it will be yet another 10 games in a row to finish off the year at the MCG or however many games they had at the G at the end of last year. Yeah, I'm just not sure how strong they are traveling to interstate. And I think that they are too too risk uh, too risk prone if that's even a, if that's even a phrase it, they're too prone to to risk with injury because of how good their players are and so if Dustin Martin or Jack Rewalt or Tom Lynch or Trent Cotchin, Daniel Rioli any of them have a season ending injury that's almost almost Richmond's chances is gone. I did say that about Alex France. I did say, I know, I, I, I think you're about to point out Alex France, and that's a good point. I just think that Dylan Grimes played out of his skin last year, and I think he's one of the best backmen in the competition. But you cannot replace Dustin Martin. You can't replace Trent Cotchin. You can't replace Daniel Rioli. You can't replace the two-pronged forward line of Jack Rewalt and Tom Lynch. And I know they did that in 2017, but the competition has evolved since then. I don't think a one tall forward forward line really worked for the Tigers like it did in 2017. I, I agree. Yeah, I agree with you that they have a lot of those players. And I think that, yes, you know, replacing Rance is a huge challenge. And I think that Dylan Grimes is one of the most somewhat underrated defenders in the comp. I think he is a superb defender. But I think you... Yeah, and it's ironic that you have to say this because it is the truth, though. You missed a few names there, and it's just because of how good their list is. You look at the likes of Shane Edwards, how integral to the, the system he is. Dion Prestia, their BNF, you know, the list just goes on and on. And that's why I, I still just find it so hard to see them not making the fall, as much as it pains me to say it, because I would love to see them fall outside. But <laughs> like what Mike we've discussed, that, that, that is a 
it's going to be a battle between, I'd like to think, those five teams for who makes the four, and inevitably someone would have to miss out. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Um, the rest of the eight, I think Port Adelaide will be good enough to secure a home final and at least alleviate Koshi's stress and alleviate Hinkley's stress as well, at least until they lose in week one. But that's besides the point. I think Port Adelaide will finish sixth. And I think they'll finish sixth because this is the year that there's no excuse for Port. As you said, there's no excuse for Ken Hinckley. There's no excuse for the power anymore. Ken Hinckley's honeymoon period finished long ago. And it's about time that they make finals football yet again. If they don't, I think his job is going to be at risk. And I think that ultimately that's going to be enough of an incentive for the power to play really, really well. And I think Port Adelaide, they also have a great list as well, even though they got rid of Dougal Howard. I think that they have a great list. Port Adelaide to finish sixth. I think Essendon just squeezes in in seventh. I think the Bombers, again, they have a pretty good list. I think Essendon, just so long as they can fix their consistency, lessen the gap between their best and their worst, and they can be one of the best teams in the competition. People often forget how strong Essendon were at the back half of 2018. The back half of 2018, Essendon was probably the second best team in the competition, maybe the third best team behind Richmond and West Coast. The Bombers were awesome. They went on a rampage. They crushed the Eagles in Perth. They beat the Giants in Sydney. They went on a ramp. They narrowly lost to the Hawks. They narrowly lost to the Pies and they narrowly lost to Richmond. They went on an absolute rampage carnage, just absolute, absolute incredible run at the back half of 2018. I think that 2019, despite the fact that we made finals football in 2019 and not 2018, I personally prefer the 2018 season because we played more consistently. I think last year, there was way too many big losses for us and that ultimately we paid the price for those. So the two big losses to the Eagles in Perth, round one against the Giants, hashtag 21 in a row against the Dogs, I think as long as Essendon can fix that, and I think that with the shortened quarters, it's going to be more difficult for teams to lose by big margins. I think that Essendon can be one of the best teams in the competition this year. I just don't know if they're consistent enough to make the top four. And so that's why I'm putting them seventh. And then eighth, it's the time that the Saints will go marching into September or October football. They will be there again this season, St. Kilda, for the first time since 2011. And not only will the Saints be there, I think that they're a chance to beat the Tigers in week one of the finals. They won't, but I think that they might. They could. But St. Kilda, way too many great players that they brought in. Talented youngsters and a great head coach as well. I think that he's one of the best head coaches in the competition. And so that's why I think the Saints are going to make it an eighth. Yeah, so okay. Well, there's there's a few differences in our um, in our uh, remaining four spots. Uh, the obvious one being, which we have kind of already discussed, was that the five teams which are going to be challenging for the four. My team, which didn't make it, was Brisbane. I think that they'll have a, a well. I'm not going to go as far to say they'll have their Melbourne year because I think that that's far from reality. Uh, I don't think they're going to drop off the face of the earth like Melbourne did, but I do think they'll have a little bit of a 
reality check, if you like. I do think they'll not make the four this year. I think someone like Hodge being lost will have a bit of an impact. I still think they will make finals. I think they've got a team which ultimately has a lot of uprising talent. You know, Charlie Cameron is just, you know, watching him is just like watching magic happen, the way he pulls the goals out of absolutely nowhere. Um, So I do think that they will pull through and fall just short of the four. Uh, I think Essendon will come in sixth. I think they will kind of maintain, uh, you know, a respectable spot. I do think that, like you, I think their their problem is they're just too inconsistent. I think Essendon on their day would make the four, but their day comes every so often. It doesn't come every week. Like, you know, your Richmonds, your GWSs, your Collingwoods, your West Coast, who will make the four. Um, seventh, I think Geelong's list is just still got enough in it to make finals. I think as ageing as it is and as few years as it has left in it, I do think there's still enough talent in it for them to scrape through into the eight. I think it'll be a bit of an arm wrestle, though, uh, for them. I think, you know, they'll probably... I think they'll start the year strong. I think they'll probably look like a top four finisher. And then I think they'll kind of fall the way back into the year a little bit. And they'll probably have to, you know, really dig in, pull their subs up to maintain top eight. Saying that, I think they will. And then the eighth spot for me is like, it's completely up for grabs. There's so many teams which could... Uh, make it for me you know you look at the likes of the Saints you look at you know both Adelaide teams you'll look at you know your North Melbournes then you even look into the likes of your Hawthorns and your Sydneys who might sniff around Um, and for me I've picked North I think that Shaw is he's got something in him which I think will you know I think there was far too many positives at the back end of 2019 for them to not have enough in them to make the eight this year I think that for me the Saints will be like a just missed out team. I think that they will come ever so close. And I think it will be those two ultimately come the final few rounds who will be battling it out for that last spot in the eight. Um, but I think that uh, the Kangas will have it in. Oh, very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. And you're right. There's so many teams that can fill the bottom two spots in the eight. It's completely up for grabs. I wouldn't be surprised if... Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised with how unpredictable the season's going to be. I wouldn't be that shocked if the Crows finish eighth. Honestly, anything can happen. Fremantle could finish eighth. Fremantle, for crying out loud. Anything can happen this year. I think really the... Melbourne. Melbourne, <laughs> Melbourne could finish eighth. I think the only team that I can definitively rule out of September action, and I just think they're too young, is Gold Coast. Yeah, I agree on that. I just think that the Gold Coast are still a fair way away from being near the finals. I think that there's so many problems at that club at the moment that they've got a lot of work to do. They, they really need to do a bit of a Brisbane and just do a complete club clear out and a complete, you know, uh, evaluation of where they're at as a club because at this rate, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be out of business uh, within the next couple of years unless they get substantial help from the AFL, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And I think that Stuart Dude's job, that honeymoon period is coming to an end for him. I think maybe this year he'll get one more year of leniency. And if they don't start improving next year, uh, he will be shown the door pretty quickly. Uh, Okay. Thank you very much, Liam, for joining me this week. And thank you so much for listening. This is the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper Cloud. See you next week.